G'day, and welcome to Feed for Thought, a regular podcast from Pioneer covering everything from farm systems to crops and products and much, much more. Hi, I'm Ian Williams and welcome to Feed for Thought. It's a pretty exciting uh, podcast, this one, actually, because I've got uh, two incredibly clever and well-renowned gentlemen with me today. First of all, I'd just like to introduce you to um, Professor Fred Bilo from uh, University of Illinois in Champaign, Illinois, or Champaign-Urbana, or is it Urbana-Champaign, or is it Champaign-Urbana? Urbana-Champaign. Right, and um, so he's over here uh, as as one of our guests. Um, He's a crop physiologist, so Professor of Crop Physiology at uh, University of Illinois, as I understand it, so... It's cool. And look, and with me is um, Dr. Roland Simba, good mate of mine. Um, you're going to hear a lot of him over the next little bit as we uh, continue with this Feed for Thought podcast. So uh, Roland is the National Research and Agronomy Manager with Pioneer. So welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, look, we're going to get into it. Fred, I've, um, we've, we've, you know, I've heard you talk, and one of the things that sort of is uh, exercising a lot of farmers' minds is what is the yield potential of the current maize genetics, and 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 then and, and so what's the yield gap? I mean, they you know we know what the potential is, we know what farmers are achieving. What sort of yeah, what sort of yield gaps are we seeing? Yeah, so and it matters how you define the yield gap. But one thing I t- can tell the audience is the yield potential is a lot higher than what we're currently achieving. If you look at the average yield of, of maize in the U.S., it's a, it's about eleven point three tons. That's that's grain. Yes, that would be grain. That yeah. would be average. Now, yeah. obviously, there's a lot of farmers that do better, and there's some that do worse. If that's the average, right? But uh, I can tell you that uh, the, that that potential, that yield gap you described, is much higher. So our quest, our quest has been to produce nineteen plus tons. Nineteen tons in my units is roughly three hundred bushels, and 300 bushels is sort of our rallying cry right. around feeding a, a world growing population. So if you if you say 19 tons versus the 11.3 we get now, well, that's one way to look at the yield gap. The, the other way to look at the yield gap is, you know, what a grower's record yield is or what the world record is, and then say, wow, there's a big difference between record yields and average yields. And, and that's the opportunity then to increase maize yields, presumably with better genetic selection and with better management. So we've got what is the current average for around 11? What is the kind of the better guys are doing around 19? And then what is the, what actually, what is the world record? Yeah, the world, the world record is 38.7 tons. That's grain. Uh, And and I, and I will tell you that, uh, you know, even the last six or seven years, we've routinely seen 19 plus tons. Our laboratory record, 25.8 tons. Wow. The yield gap is different depending on where you go, but every farmer has their highest yield compared to their average yield. And then the question is what caused that and how can we manage the crop to you know, go back to the higher yields? So in the US, because I'm going to get onto you, Roland, with the, with the same question for New Zealand. So in the US, what would be some of the major reasons why the yield gap? What would be some of the things that... That farmers are doing in order to, to bridge that gap. Yeah, well, well, certainly the uh, the genetic potential, the genetics have come a long way in maize hybrids. You know, now we have marker assisted selection, and that really, really uh, helps the plant breeding process. Really accelerates it. So the the yield potential of today's hybrids is uh, really accelerated at a rapid rate. And I think that what what's happened is that some of the other management has been slower to catch up with 
the yield potential that exists in those hybrids. Right. And one of the major things that, that we need to really focus on is uh, doing a better job of how we fertilize the crop. Right, okay. So, so fertility is one of the things? Oh, absolutely. So we know, we know the genetics is there. Fertility is one of the things. What yeah. are some of the other things that you, know, that you guys have got? Yeah, so let me, let me comment on fertility first. I'll say mm -hmm. that uh, you know, maize yield starts with fertility right from day one. You gotta, you gotta have the proper nutrition from the, from the very beginning. You gotta make sure it's available all season. Then you have to have the right hybrid and then one of the biggest factors that drives maize yield is how many plants you plant. Yeah, yeah, yep. So fertility, population. Yep, and uh, and the right fitting the right genetics, not only to the population but also to the fertility. Right. Cool. Roland, was it is it any different here? Oh, thanks, Ian. I think um, we have pretty much the same yield potential that we're getting. Um, here in New Zealand compared to the States. Ah. I would say um, on average, uh, our maize grain yields are probably around that uh, 12 ton yeah. per hectare. And uh, when you look at uh, silage, we are looking at uh, anywhere between 20 and 22 ton per hectare. But um, unlike in the US, I think uh, for us, our biggest challenge is uh, largely the uh, fact that we are more largely more dependent on uh, weather Right. Because uh, the majority of our maize farmers do not have access to irrigation water, so most of the uh, yields are largely dependent on uh, on whether we get uh, the rain or we don't. Ah, so is that any different in the state? I mean, in the states, you've got water, haven't you? No, not not. I wish I, I wish I could say that all the maize <laughs> in the states was irrigated, and, and only about ten percent of maize grown in the in the states is irrigated. We are also dependent on the weather. Weather is the number one factor that Im impacts. A yield, uh, precipitation, uh, temperature, wind. I yeah. don't have to tell you, wind can really impact your yield. Wow, uh, I mean, we're seeing it in New Zealand at the moment, isn't it? With, a, with quite a few wind damaged crops. So uh, yeah, that's that's big. Yeah. So most of our maize is most of our maize is uh, is dryland grown as as well. Right. So if we take Roland, so if we take out weather, like the the same as fertility, the big thing for us here, or hybrid. I mean, hybrid. You mentioned hybrid first off, didn't you? Genetics. Yep. Yep. Obviously, yeah, fertility is quite a big thing for us here in New Zealand, largely because most of the maize, especially if you look at maize grain, it's largely on repeat ground. Yeah. So managing that fertility is quite quite critical, and we find that most silage silage in particular, the crops are probably uh, rotated a little bit. So the fertility generally tends to be much, much higher in uh, silage crops uh, compared to uh, maize grain. Yeah, because they're often coming out of pasture, aren't they? So there's more than enough fertility normally there for the crops, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But uh, most farmers uh, tend to uh, do uh, a soil test yep. and uh, they uh, usually uh, are pretty good at uh, managing uh, the, uh, the soil on the basis of uh, the soil test. So, Fred, one of the things that, that I heard you talk about yesterday was was the importance of pH. Talking about fertility, talking about you know the importance of pH is is that a, is that something that you think farmers really need to focus on in in the US anyway? I think farmers need to focus on maintaining the adequate pH anywhere they grow. Right. You know, uh, pH influences the availability of nutrients, and, and we'd really like to have a pH uh, somewhere in the six point five range. And and that's that's to optimize the, the the solubility and the availability of all nutrients. And it's a fairly easy thing to correct. So it's, it's relatively inexpensive compared to say nitrogen and potash, isn't it? I mean, well, it is in New Zealand. Yeah. So the, that that factor has a huge huge impact on on fertility. I, I, I our farmers do rely on the soil test, but 
I'm not convinced that the salt test is actually calibrated to 19 ton or more maize. Uh, I mean, certainly it's a base level that we have to rely on. I'm going to say that uh, the way we fertilize the crop has not kept pace with the genetic potential of the hybrids we're using today. And there's a huge opportunity to increase, close that yield gap with better fertilizer management. I know, this is interesting. So, so just, do you want to you know, unpack that a bit more? I mean, I mean, it's a pretty strong statement you made. Yeah. It is, but think about, think about when the salt test values were calibrated to, to maize yields in the U.S. That was in the 60s and early 70s. Right. And the average yield of maize in the 60s and early 70s was probably about five tons. Right, And, right. and uh, now, now we, you know, we've seen by, by, in our own research and a lot of farms and in these records that the, uh, the yield potential way exceeds that. I am not convinced that we can economically or sustainability rise the salt test levels to what it would take to grow 19 ton plus maize. And so I'm a huge advocate of uh, the, the four R's of fertilizer management. We, we have to use the right source, the right time, the right rate, and especially the right place. Ah, so Roland, is that, I mean, is that any different for us here? I would uh, like to agree with uh, Fred a bit, but uh, I would go further and uh, say that uh, what I tend to find mostly with um, with some growers is uh, they largely focus on uh, your three big ones, NPK. Yeah. And uh, it is quite important to uh, realize that uh, when you're looking at those uh, big uh, crops, you also need uh, to uh, think about uh, other nutrients such as magnesium, your, your, um, your, your, your calcium, Calcium is probably not as important um, as uh, these other ones, uh, such as your magnesium, your sulfur, etc. So it is uh, quite important to understand uh, what uh, your, your, your base rates are for all these other nutrients. I mean, I like the idea of fertilizing for a 19-ton crop or understanding what a, a yield, you know, a crop of yield, greater yield potential have got. I mean, I think most, we did a survey recently, for example, to see how people use soil tests here in New Zealand, Fred, and it was really interesting. Most farmers did saw tests. Uh, most farmers didn't use them. <laughs> they, they put on they put on the same rate across all their blocks, and, and you know they, they might have soil tested each block and then used the same rate across all the blocks. Is that the same in the US? Or well, sadly, yes. I mean, uh, it comes down to the interpretation of the soil test. Now, now, one thing one thing that I I've learned since I've been in New Zealand is if you're if you're growing the maize for silage instead of grain then your fertilizer requirements are quite a bit different because you're actually removing all of the biomass. Yeah, that's right. I think that's very important to understand that. Like we talk about rolling, what a sort of, how much a ton, what a ton of dry matter take off in, in maize silage in terms of NPK and S, what sort of numbers? Yeah, so with, uh, with nitrogen, we're looking at uh, for every ton of maize silage, we're talking about uh, almost uh, 12, uh, 12 kgs of uh, nitrogen. And uh, when it comes to uh, K, which is the uh, potash, it's uh, pretty much the same amount of uh, K. And uh, maybe more, I would like to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, the potassium, because uh, most of the potassium that the maize removes from the soil actually uh, goes uh, into uh, into the stock or the stover. Yeah. So when you're dealing with a uh, maize grain, most of that uh, K usually goes back into the paddock because you're not removing the, uh, the stove of or residue, but uh, when you're dealing with silage, you're taking away that uh, potash. So it is quite important that uh, if you're growing um, maize silage, 
you should be uh, thinking about uh, adding the uh, the potash because you have actually removed it uh, from the uh, from the paddock. And mm-hmm. uh, in terms of your your phosphorus, it's probably uh, not uh, exactly the same quantities as uh, your nitrogen and your your K. Mm-hmm. You're only talking about uh, maybe about two and a half kgs for every ton of maize uh, silage. Which, um, but having said all that, at the end of the day, when it comes to uh, yields, it is usually the most limiting factor that will determine your uh, your yields. So it doesn't really matter how much uh, phosphorus, uh, sorry, how much nitrogen or uh, okay you have in your soil. If you are short of phosphorus or short of magnesium, that will eventually determine your final yield. Yeah, so it's kind of like I mean I've seen a picture i'm not sure where it came from but a picture of a leaky bucket and 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 the water always goes to the bottom hole so if that's the first one to plug that's what you've got to do that's what you're saying basically isn't it so fred look one of the things that you've talked about is the seven wonders of growing maize three to four most important yeah so the the, the seven wonders of yeah well firstly what are they yeah the, what what they are is that those top seven factors that each year can impact maize yield and it's a it's a concept for growers to think about the the management practices that that each year they have to deal with that impact uh, maize productivity. Uh, now, the sad news is the, the biggest factor that impacts maize yield is the ones that most growers have the least control over, the weather. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have irrigation, you control some of the weather. Now, I, I want to come back to you on the weather thing because it's about risk management really, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's uh, you know really hard to predict what the weather is going to do, and it can really impact the yield of the maize yep. crop. So weather's number one. No, number one by far. I mean, if if you look at the seven wonders for not nineteen ton maize, well, weather is worth uh, five point seven tons. Oh wow! On average, wow. plus or minus, it can help you or it can hurt you. So about thirty percent of the is just straight weather. Straight weather. You've got no control over it. None at all. Yeah. Well, unless you have irrigation. Okay. And yeah, then, yeah. then you yeah. can, um, and and sometimes you can, you can. Sort of manage the weather by when you plant the crop. Okay, so you, so so this is about risk management now, isn't it? It is. It is. If you if you know that uh, conditions are dry or hot or certain times of year, um, you can slightly impact when the crop develops into key times by both the the planting date you use and to some extent the RM of the hybrid that you use. So what's RM? RM would be the relative maturity, okay. the length yep. of time that it takes to mature. Yep. Because of Roland, I think your PhD does clicks into what your PhD was about, wasn't it? Okay, so you got timing, timing of planting. Yep. That, what? Are, how how big an influence, for example, would drought resistance in a in a hybrid kick in? I mean, is that is that a a big number or a small number? No, it could be a large number, especially in years. I mean, I think if you look at last year, where yeah. where you were under a drought, that could have a big in, impact. And so so obviously the genetics can. We're starting to see genetics that uh, has has been selected or bred for different resilience when it comes to weather stresses. I'm an optimist, so I think the, in the future we'll have even more traits that uh, allow us to be more resilient when it comes to the weather. But I don't think we will ever be able to remove weather as the number one factor yeah, yeah, yeah. that impacts maize growth and yield. So, Roland, just just it segue does segue into your PhD. I and mean, what did your PhD find in terms of risk management, and, and particularly the impacts of weather on risk management? Yes, yeah, so in terms of uh, hybrid selection, I think that's what mostly my uh, PhD focused on. We did find that um, hybrid selection is uh, is pretty much uh, pretty close to uh, being the uh, number one for us in terms of uh, 
getting the hybrid that uh, is likely to mature within the uh, time space. And also when we, we were previously made to believe that uh, if you want to increase your yield, you go with uh, the longest maturity. Yeah. But what we found was that uh, in cases where weather is unreliable, you may not necessarily have sufficient uh, moisture to get the uh, crop to a maturity. So with a shorter maturing hybrid, we are getting uh, the crop maturing in a short time space, which at the same time, it also has got a slightly lower yield potential. But because it has got a lower yield potential, its requirement for uh, nutrients or even water are much less than uh, a higher yielding uh, crop. Mm. So we are finding that uh, we're getting much more reliable yields from uh, short uh, season hybrids. And uh, the other thing is uh, we do have uh, some genetics that have got a better resistance to a drought, yeah. which uh, we call optimum Equimax hybrids. And these hybrids uh, tend to uh, be much more resilient in uh, those uh, drier conditions. Fred, really interesting. So, we, so we, we've got a we've got a small farm. We grow we grow about fifteen hectares of maize ourselves uh, on so twenty five years now. Maize on maize, maize silage, not maize grain. And we always we always believe. I mean, I I, I believe that you know longer maturity is bigger yield. So we did that. We had 113, 112 CRM hybrids. Then I read Roland's PhD, which I was really fascinated with. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So we dropped down to We went down to about a 90 CRM hybrid. And that was far too short. It was far too short on our property. Um, it, we had more moisture in our soil than that. And we've come back up to about a 100 CRM hybrid. And that seems perfect. And as Roland says, we've had good years and bad years with that. But it's pretty consistent. The yield, I mean, we're, we're range, for silage, we're ranging around about one and a half to two tonne between a good year and a bad year, which I think is pretty acceptable. What we see in our research is, is, is if you have the moisture, clearly the longest RM for the region gives the highest yield. Yep. I mean, obviously- Our, it, our data would show that too, wouldn't it? Yeah. Obviously, it has something to do with using the whole season. But as a risk management role, when you are anticipate that, that we might run out of water, then yes, changing the RM of the hybrid can make a huge difference. This, this, Ian, is an example of what I'm going to call an interaction. Yep. So as I go through these seven wonders, these seven factors that impact maize yield, not only do they individually influence yield, but they also interact with each other. Yep. And that's those interactions that, that you can manipulate to really get more yield or, or, or take advantage of different weather or other management situations. Okay, so look, we got stuck on weather. Okay, let's go to the other. What, what are the others? Yeah, so I'm going to say fertility is number two. Yeah. Again, worth 5.7 tons, almost as much as weather. Yeah. Uh, and and without fertility, you know, the plant, is, the plant just doesn't grow. It doesn't make the yield potential. So a lot of fertility involves nitrogen, but not all of it. Yeah. You know, as Roland mentioned, uh, if, if a secondary nutrient or even a micronutrient is limiting, that's the lowest rung in the barrel, the, then that limits your yield. And uh, why, we've, why we've tended to focus on nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, now at these really high yield levels, we have to pay attention to secondary nutrients. You know, and we use the word micronutrient because the plant needs a small amount of it. But if that micronutrient is deficient, it's a major problem. Oh, I love that. So micronutrient <laughs> could actually be a macro problem. Oh, boy, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so fertility. Fertility is uh, number two. 
Uh, next on the list, this is the this is the important, the most important decisions growers make each year, and that's their hybrid or their variety selection. I don't have to tell you in the in the seed business that those hybrids change rapidly, yeah. and we continue to introduce new and better hybrids from our genetic uh, program. So growers really need to try to match the hybrid a little bit to the fertility. And as Roland mentioned, a lot to the weather. So so what sort of, I mean, do, do you know what sort of yield increases, uh, annual yield increases are getting in the States and in, in grain? Do you, do yeah, we see, we see about a ton every seven or eight years. Right. Roland, that's about, yeah, that'd be about the same yeah. as us, isn't it? Yeah. But grain, absolutely, yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, I think we're actually using the same genetics or the same <laughs> genetic um, potential. Helps. We don't we don't have any advantage and you know uh, in the better genetic potential that New Zealand has. Uh, and and I think you know that that's one of the reasons that we need to continue to to say, okay, what's the what's the other agronomic management that thou, that now we need to do to be able to take advantage or continue to uh, have that yield, that rate of yield gain. So what, what's uh, the next one on the ring? Then? Yeah, the next one on the ring is this one can be a little contentious, but it's plant population. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at uh, the yield components that make up maize yield, maize yield is a product function of how many plants you have per hectare, how many kernels are on each plant, and the weight of each individual kernel. Now, you have to change at least one of those to increase yield. And if you think about the component that the grower has the most control over, it's how many plants they plant. Right. Because <laughs> they can't change the kernel. I mean, that's genetics, isn't it? The kernel well, size. and I, I think it's a combination of genetics and the environment. Yeah. And of course, we can, we can select the right genetics, but we don't know what the environment is going to do. If you look at how plant population has changed in the, in the U.S., it goes up a little under 900 plants per hectare per year. And the reason is that uh, that adds yield and it because it's the yield component under the grower's control that has the biggest impact on maize yield. One of the criticisms that we get, because I mean, we've, we've, our data role would be say pretty similar, wouldn't it? I mean, it- uh, absolutely. I think uh, we tend to um, have slightly higher populations compared to uh, what uh, they can handle in the U.S., and um, I would like to believe it's mostly because of um, our higher radiation levels. Right. When I say higher radiation levels, I'm obviously yeah, also taking temperature into consideration because we've got much longer grain fuel periods compared to, uh, to the U.S. because uh, of our lower temperatures. So we tend to handle much, much higher populations. And uh, the other thing is uh, because we probably don't have as many soil-borne diseases as uh, they do have in the States, our plants are also much more resilient at those uh, higher population levels. So, I mean, with the criticism that we get all the time, obviously, is, oh, you're just trying to sell more seed. I mean, you know, we hear that from, of course, of course we hear that all the time, but the, 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 the science is pretty strong, isn't it, on this? Yeah, that's the reality of it is. Think about it. Think about each uh, maize plant. It's a solar collector. And how, how can having more solar collectors not lead to more yield? Now, obviously, if you're growing the maize crop for silage, then it makes complete sense yeah. to, to plant more plants, to intercept light faster. I, I agree with what Roland said. Uh, New Zealand growers are, are, are actually can plant a higher population because largely um, you do have a longer season, but you really have cooler nighttime temperatures during grain filling. Now, actually, it's interesting because I heard you talk about this yesterday. Once again, you talked about having a having a rest. You guys don't get a rest at night. 
Oh no, it's uh, we we and we run the air conditioner at night. Uh, we can't open the windows. And that, so you have these giant <laughs> air conditioners going over your crops? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I, I wish I wish we could. I, I mean, it's hard to put a it's hard to put an exact number to these things, Ian. But yeah. you know, in, in in general terms, for every night in Grainfield that the temperature stays above 23 degrees C, we lose 68 kilograms of grain. Oh wow! And we have a lot of nights that that occurs. Not only do we lose grain yield, but guess what? We we suck the resources out of the stock. Yeah. And now we're more subject then to stock lodging, leaf diseases. You are your climate blesses you with a slow and steady and moderate temperatures, which most of the US Corn Belt does does not enjoy. Right. Yeah. Yep, I totally agree with um, with you there, Fred, because one of the uh, challenges we have uh, in our industry, there's still some uh, people who believe that uh, they are going to get uh, greater yields because of uh, high temperatures. So it's good uh, that uh, you've actually uh, clarified that. Thanks, guys. Actually, that, that's a nice finish to part one of this podcast. All right, feel free to join us uh, for part two, where Fred and Roland are going to be talking about the things that farmers can do. What are the most important things farmers can do to make sure that their maize crop reaches the yield potential? That's the notion.